0: Good morning, ain't it? A great morning outside. Kind of misty. It might be heavy rain this weekend, but who cares? We're going to be talking about gardening for the next hour and Rain is a good thing. It's what keeps us from being West Texas. Hey y'all, I'm Horticulture's Felder Rushing, and you've tuned in to the Gestalt Gardener, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's a weekly garden program, and uh, my our producer is an awesome Java Chapman. We're going to have fun for the next hour or so just talking about gardening in the south. Our, our neighbors up north have undulating mounds in the snow. We got camellias and paper whites. That's okay. It's all good. I want to give a special shout out to folks listening by podcast, but keep in mind, this is the southern Program. You can adapt it as best you can, but we're going to be talking about gardening all the way to the end of the hour. It's a live program. So if you've got some things you'd like to talk about, we're going to give a toll free number you can call in and join this garden party we call the Gestalt Garden here on MPB.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit MPBOnline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
0: Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulturist Fela Ruskin here. We're going to be talking about gardening for the next little while. If you want to kick around some ideas with us, it's real, really easy. Just give us a call. It's toll free one eight seven mpb ring I promise I won't bite. Ran into a friend of mine from Austin, Texas last night. He said he tuned in the program by accident. <laughs> and he said, the first thing I said was, Hi, I'm Fela Ruskin. I'm not going to sell you nothing. And that's true. You know, I'm a retired extension horticulturist and still kind of cheerful about stuff, but over the next hour so. If you've got questions about gardening, you want to kick around some ideas or there's some things that I say that you take umbrage with, that's okay. It's just gardening. It's has different opinions, different approaches, but I guarantee you, I'm going to try to do what I can to stick with the facts and uh, also balance that with what would I do, and I'm a lazy old gardener. Uh, also, not try to sell you anything. If there's nothing I can do, I don't think there's anything you can do, and I'm going to just say it like that. By the way, I've got got a, a couple of real interesting things that happened this past week. We're going to be talking about that. But again, if you want to give us a call, it's toll-free 1-877-MPB-RING. And uh we've got um, uh, Kevin Farrell in there, the esteemed Kevin Farrell, he's man of the phone. He's our phone greeter today and uh, he'll put you right on, and we're going to talk about gardening. Here it is, uh, you know, well into December, and it's uh, going to be a lot of rain over most of Mississippi, if not all of it uh, today. I know that'll uh, kind of mess with somebody's plans, but it'll be a good day for making some soup tomorrow. If you want to get get together, you got a good recipe for soup, give that a try. Uh, also, it's a good time to get out today and blow your leaves be- <laughs> before the rain packs them down. That's what I'm going to do because, you know, the leaves, uh, I've got a neighbor's tree. that has got an oak tree that drops, I think, about, Oh, fifty leaves a day. And I can blow them, and the next next day is a hundred leaves, and blowing the next day is five hundred leaves. But it never seems to drop its leaves. But if I don't blow them, they get real slick, and it's just it's just not as fun. So it's one of those kind of neatening things that you try to do to stay ahead of things. Also, gonna try to dip out some of the leaves that fall in my water garden because if I don't, by spring they're gonna be nasty. I'm, the word stank comes to mind. Matter of fact, that reminds me, I'm working on a garden column, and I can use some help. I can use some help from all of y'all. Uh, we're looking for some ideas of things in the garden you know everything's not always rosy things in the garden that smell a bit off (laughs) stank stink pungent uh the things that make you wrinkle your nose and go "Huh," you know so if you've got some things like that some things some things in your garden that when you smell them and i can throw out a few ideas but i'd like to hear what you've got to say things that smell but they don't smell great you know, this is uh, part of the gestalt thing. Matter of fact, I, I wanted to share something. I'm going to come with just in just a second. But I printed out a uh, half a page saying, so what does gestalt gardening mean? I think I'd share that with you all in just a little while. But first of all, I want to throw out that in my garden right now, I've got a few remnants of some of these big fall uh, chrysanthemums. You know, not the ones you buy at the store, but the ones you get from people who get from people who get from people. Clara Curtis or Country Girls comes to mind. Also, I've got my violas, my, uh, my pansies, my uh, uh, parsley, brilliant really, emerald green parsley. I've got uh, some snapdragons, things I set out for wintertime. Kale is coming along, some lettuce is still out there. But the camellia sasanquas are just incredible. I've got a little small one with uh, a little compact shrubby thing that's got double, frilly double rich pink flowers. I'd say they're as close to red as pink can be with nice frilly uh, yellow stamen in the middle. Pretty little cheery thing that, uh, again, our friends up north uh, can only dream about. So here it is in the south. We can have color all the time. We can have color every week of the year. And uh, Sasanquas are sort of the the queens of the garden right now. Soon it'll be um, the Camellia japonicas with the bigger flowers. Uh, Along then, we're going to have flowering quince, which we have typically in January and February. Main thing is here in the south, if you'll walk around some older neighborhoods, or drive around some older neighborhoods, see what they've got blooming in their garden, and uh, you can have that pretty easily in your own garden. By the way, last week I was uh, last week last night right, driving around trying to look at some of the uh, early uh, Christmas cheer, all the holiday lighting. People have got the yard, the what I call the total yard shows. It's funny how people who have pink flamingos and and plastic ducks and and uh, uh, too many urns and they've got gnomes and all sorts of tire planters stuff all over the yard all year long. They just sort of disappeared this time of year when people decked their halls, their garden halls with all sorts of stuff. Anyway, came across a, an old friend of mine, a neighbor named Jeff Good. Uh, Jeff uh, um, uh, owned several restaurants in the Jackson. He's a good guy. He graduated from Millsap, big tall guy. He was out at 930 uh, almost ten o 'clock last night we were looking putting lights up in his yard. He was like a little kid out there and it 's so much fun talking with Jeff about that um, anyway this past week, something interesting happened. I was at the uh, the chimneyville crafts uh, thing with the the uh, uh, the Mississippi Craftsman guild it's met so many fun people. A lot of people came out and had my truck out there and, and it was interesting to find out that my truck is is more popular than I am. They didn't come to see me. They came to see the turn the truck, and I had it all uh, planted up and all. Uh, but a gal came by named Christine Wilson. She's a neighbor from one neighborhood over. Christine said that she saw um, an orange tree. She said it was a no. She said a lemon tree in her neighborhood, loaded with lemons. And I'm thinking this Central Mississippi ain't happening. I said. Sorry, it's got to be something else. She said, no, they're lemons. I said, maybe it's that little furry, hardy orange. She said, no, they're lemons. And, you know, 40 years I've been doing this. I wrote the book on growing fruits in Mississippi. There are no lemon trees that are growing in central Mississippi. And that's my final word. Until I drove by where she said she saw it, and I came around the corner, and there's an 18-foot tall tree and completely loaded with with big lemons. An 18-foot tree. Come to find out, I've been there for 17 years, loaded with lemons. I got pictures of it. They're bigger than the regular lemons, and I'm thinking, what's going on with this? It's not, and then I noticed it didn't have single leaves like lemons and grapefruits and oranges and things they have, you know, with one one leaf kind of uh, shaped like a, a uh, like 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 your hand if you're doing a salute it had trifoliate leaves you know the th- east leaf had three leaflets like that wild thing with all the thorns I'm thinking something else going on here so I call my friend Tom Mann Tom works at the Natural Science Museum here in Jackson he's a, a wildlife biologist he's also a home fruit grower grows all sorts of stuff including a lot of interesting fruits he got involved I took him over there we did i mean i sent him some pictures we did he came over we did scratch sniff, sniffing we sniffed them we opened them up we smelled them we looked at the leaves we measured the fruit we did all sorts of stuff and he was stumped so long story short um we did by doing a lot of research a lot of help from from folks uh turns out that there's a root stock uh by the way this had been planted as a meyer lemon meyer lemons don't grow in central mississippi uh it looked like a lemon. Anyway, come to find out that the people in Florida use grafted, they sell grafted trees, and the rootstock, which is hardy, is usually that thorny trifoliate orange, the, one the wild lemon people see all over the place, the big thorns, little small golf ball-sized uh, furry fruits. But um, apparently, some decades ago, some researchers crossed, they did a hybrid between this wild, hardy, lemon thing with all the thorns. Can't, can't eat it. Just all thorns and so bitter, it'll just turn you inside out. They cross it with a grapefruit, and they came up with an entirely new fruit. They're looking for a, a cold, hearty thing. And uh, they, car- they, 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 they they put them together, and they came up with a plant called citrumelo. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Citrumelo, C-I-T-R-U, mellow. Citrum mellow. Um, it's, it's a it, It's not quite... What people would want to buy at the store, but it's cold hardy citrus. It's crossed between hardy orange with a grapefruit, citromello, sometimes called hardy grapefruit. It's bigger, more juicy than the, than the wild thing, about the size of a lemon, a little bit bigger than lemon. Um, Trifoliate leaves, but it's it's edible. It looks and tastes kind of citru- uh, grapefruity, and so bottom line is, we found that there is a tree that will grow. In central Mississippi, apparently even up in Tennessee, that has lemon-sized fruit that you can actually use for lemonade. It's called citromello. Uh, So, my bottom line is, citrus won't grow this far north. I was wrong. Now we know better. If you want some information about this, shoot me an email. Shoot me an email, garden at mpbonline.org. org. a little history, a little background on that kind of stuff. If you've got some things you'd like to talk about, some uh, something blooming in your yard, something you want to give a try, maybe you've got an old stump that's, that you're, you're thinking you want to plant stuff around or you got a weird bug or you, got, or you want to talk about uh, controversial garden things, like whether nandinas will kill birds or not, anything like that. Give us a call. I promise I won't holler at you. I'm ready to learn some stuff, ready to share what I know. Horticulcers fell to rushing after this long little first thing, talking about citrus mellows. We're going to be back with your calls here on the Gestalt Gardener Mississippi Public Broadcasting right after this. <laughs> Okay, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's Fellow Rush, you can give us a call toll-free 1-877-MPB ring. Before we go to this first call, let me mention last week while I was at the the Craftsman Guild thing, the Chimneyville, uh, I picked up uh, a new uh, ceramic flower. Uh you know, there's a there's a a a, a pottery place in Madison, Mississippi, it's just north of Jackson, called Pick and, Paw. Pick and Paw Pottery. Uh, it's run by uh, Bob and Mary Pick and Paw. They started a long, long time ago, like 45 years ago. Anyway, uh, they noticed that I had some of their ceramic flowers stuck in the back of my truck, and they look on the back, and every single one has got a date on it. And the one of mine was from 1980. I've been doing these things, pretty little ceramic flowers on sticks, real nice and cheery, and I appreciate them uh, updating me from... <laughs> From, uh, let me see, 1980, that would be almost 40 years ago. Wow. Anyway, give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring Meanwhile, let's slide up to about as far north as you can go in Mississippi without being in Tennessee, Tippa County. Hey, Joe, good morning.
2: Good morning. I'm about a half a mile from the Tennessee line.
0: There you go. There you uh, go. What's going on? And
2: I, I have a Meyer lemon, but I, I ordered it. it. It was advertised as a hardy lemon tree. Yeah? So I ordered it, and uh, when it came, I set it out in my yard, and then I started reading about it, and it said if, it gets, if your temperature gets below 25, it'll kill it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, right.
2: I dug it up and put it in one of these pots that have uh, one of these tubs that have rope handles on them. Right. And I take it inside, but the problem is it it blooms right in the middle of winter.
0: Oh, yeah, and it needs pollinating, too. It needs so bees I to pollinated
2: pollinate. pollinated it, so I pollinated best I could, and I got four lemons. And then when it got warm weather, I put it on the front porch, and it bloomed again. And I got about six from that crop. Yeah. And so we've eaten the four that were pollinated in the middle of the winter, but the others are are about yellow enough to pick right now. Yeah. And they're they're big as baseballs, if not bigger.
0: Yeah. when well, You bought it as a was it a Meyer lemon? You bought it as yeah. Yeah, Meyer lemon are really cold hardy. The one that I was just talking, and and, and as long as you don't, one one thing you can do, Joe, is you can prune it like a a bonsai. You know how they have a whole bunch of branches? You can thin Uh them out to just three or four main branches. They'll be the little trunks, and then thin some of those branches out, and that'll keep it compact. As long as you leave some of it unpruned, it'll still bloom. But you yeah. can you can thin some of it out when stuff gets a little bit too tall to fit through the door. You know, just in other words, just just uh, thin out the the stuff that's getting too big or or, or too wild and leave
2: some of it. Yeah, I've I've got to prune it because the limbs are sticking out so far. As it is hard to get it through the doors. You
0: know. Well, one thing you can do is directional pruning. If you'll, you know, the part that's sticking out too far, if you'll follow back that back to something that's pointing in the direction you want it to grow to, cut off yeah. right past that. In other words, just leave the stuff pointing where you want it to point to. And yeah. I hope you, hope you get the big tub. I hope you got some wheels with that thing too.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I have a dolly I can pull it, pull it <laughs> okay. on.
1: It's heavy. Well, listen, uh,
2: and I'm trying now to uh, root it. I I looked on the uh, on the uh, Google for how to pollinate. It, yeah, and it said do it in the springtime. But I, being as I have it inside, I thought it might work now. So I've got one I'm trying to, to root.
0: Yeah, well, you know they 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 do root. You know when the weather's warm and the sun's a little bit brighter and that kind of thing. So try some now and try some in the spring.
2: Yeah, I'm going to. So I just want to know. I just want you to know that there's a lemon tree up on the Tennessee line that's alive and doing well. But I have to
0: take it in. As <laughs> long, long as Joe's dragging in and out all the time. Anyway, hey, how do you pollinate? you use like a, uh, a paintbrush or something?
2: A little, I take a little tiny uh, paintbrush, you know, a little like watercolor brush. Yeah. And I uh, just pollinate. The, I, I dab it on the male blossoms and then pollinate on the female blossoms.
0: Yep. You know, sometimes there's some, some things we do in a garden that, that sound a lot of creepy, but they work. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing, man. I really appreciate okay. it, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Oh, but you can just see big old Joe up t- t- north Mississippi with a little bush that out there hand-pollinating his, his citrus trees. Hey, we've got a uh, – um, I got an email from GK down in Mobile, Alabama. I'll, I'll, I'll send you uh, an email a little bit later on the GK. But he said, all the leaves on my, my loquat tree have turned brown. There's also mushrooms around the base. The tree is relatively young and never produced fruit. Well, eight eight foot is not big for loquat. They get really, really big. Uh, But if it's got mushrooms coming around the base, that tells me it's got some kind of internal decay we see this around big landscape trees you get those shelf mushrooms that stick straight out or any kind of uh of little frilly if you have mushrooms or anything like that growing out of a tree then they're the symptom of a fungus that's been there for at least a year or so so it sounded like it got some kind of damage maybe the lawnmower or the string trimmer or something like that uh, that damaged it it's got internal decay there's not any kind of treatment for that so let's just kind of Wait and see. Uh, now let's uh, slide back to Jackson. Let's talk to Jim. Hey, Jim, good morning.
3: Good morning, Felder. Jim Rosenblatt. Howdy.
0: Hey, good to see you last week at the, uh, the, the Craftsman Guild thing.
3: I really liked your uh, pro- program and presentation, and your uh, bottle tree uh, book is just fabulous. Felder. Well, appreciate they make great it. Great Christmas present.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you so much. What's up, man?
3: Uh, Felder, I've got a question. I'm looking out here at the law school, and I see all kinds of flowers in bloom, pansies. Uh, uh, the roses uh, I, and I know that for humans we've got DNA that makes some of us tall and some of us short but could you give me just a basic explanation of what allows some plants to bloom in the winter while others have been hit by the frost and are dead now
0: you know, this is something I think you, you mentioned that last week, and I made a note. I was going to look that up, and I forgot about it. I haven't looked it up. And it's been, what, 45 years since I took plant physiology? There, you know, there there are triggers. Some some plants, <clears throat> like uh, E. lagnus, for example, or Camellias, they bloom in the fall, and it's based on the on day length. Same thing with poinsettias. You know, they're designed to bloom at a time when. You know, when, when moisture is right or when the insect pollinators are right, you know, whether you call it evolution or adaption or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but a lot of times it's because of weather. A lot of plants uh, uh, plants in the desert will only bloom for a short period in the spring because that's the only time they get rain. And uh, so a lot of it has to do with, with you know, over decade, I mean, uh, centuries and eons of trying to get used to whatever the local conditions are. Now, that's that's as close as I get, but I'm going to look up some more about that, Doc.
3: My Satsuma tree didn't make it last winter, whereas other trees uh, survived, so... Uh, it's amazing that each plant must carry its own characteristics.
0: Well, but also, you know, you can take a plant with characteristics of the desert, put it down in a jungle, and it's going to rot from too much rain. It's, you know, citrus are, are from a uh, part of China that really that 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 gets cold, but it doesn't freeze at that time. So, you know, if we we bring those kind of plants up into freezing areas, tropical plants or freezing areas, uh, they're just not adapted for it. It's sort of like putting us out there, you know, with 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 not much fur on us out in the middle of the winter with no clothes on.
3: I'm just amazed at God's creation, how everything works together so well.
0: Yeah, but, but at the same time, God didn't put a satsuma tree in central Mississippi. We did. And he's thinking, he's saying, oh, yeah, I'll show you. And he did. Thanks, Felder. Okay, appreciate it, Dean. Thanks for calling. Alrighty, 1 877 MPB Ring. I said I was going to share something about what, I get asked all the time about what, what does gestalt mean? Gestalt gardener. And the name came from, I was making a, a, a garden consultation visit uh, to a fellow uh, down in, I think, Wesson, Mississippi. I'm not sure. Uh, but he said that he was a psychology professor and he said that my, my approach towards gardening is very gestalt. And I looked it up in a psychological term. What I did was I adapted it to gardening. Gestalt is a German word. It means both pattern and whole. Uh, two maximums, gestalt therapy. What is, is, and one thing leads to another. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Here's how I apply it to gardening. We take into account the whole garden and the gardener. It's not The garden is not separate from the gardener. You can't have one without the other. Um body, mind, and spirit, Uh, it assesses what's happening right now, the here and now. You know, so we take into account the weather when we're talking about gardening. Uh, It uses what we call an experiential approach. You know, we're going to try things. We're going to try things, see if they work or not. Uh, It also recognizes, and this is important, that the gardener is central to the gardening process. It's not going to be a garden unless you get out there and mess with it and direct it and and uh, and, and, and guide it. It acknowledges the integrity, sensitivity, and creativity of the gardener. It emphasizes self-awareness and it encourages personal garden responsibility, including sharing with others. So a garden is always kind of... Uh, it is what you see it as. You see your garden different than your neighbors see your garden. We hope that they like what we do, but the fact is the garden is yours, and how you see it is different from other people. Uh, also, our previous experiences, what you learned as a child, influences what you think and do now. So, if you were raised by gardeners, you can have a little bit more uh, insight than some of the little processes. Just like my great grandmother showed me caterpillars uh, on uh, on on wildflowers and said that they're part of the process because that caterpillars can't have butterflies that butterflies can't have pollination that sort of thing uh and then this is probably the most important thing a garden cannot be found in the details but in the whole you look at the whole garden we tend to details we manipulate details we t- we we take care of little details we uh notice little details but the garden is more than than the detail so in kind of summary Gestalt approach We're looking for common ground and peace between producing stuff and enjoying what we're doing. Uh, It helps us relax or even mock some of the rules that we hear about. Uh, We embrace wonder and humor. Uh, It allows us to see gardeners as personal trips instead of a lot of details and stuff to do. It frees us to enjoy the whole experience. So To summarize this, instead of trying to finish your garden, learn to save the process, the overall experience, Including sorting out how it changes as you yourself change. That's the Gestalt approach. Hey, I thought it'd be kind of interesting uh, if you want to give us a call. The lines real open, uh, wide open right now, and I'll give the number real quick: one um, eight seven seven MPB ring. But this is this year is the twenty-fifth anniversary of one of my all-time favorite philosophical movies. I like Edward Scissor's Hand. I like the baldiness of Blazing Saddles. I like The Wizard of Oz. But 25 years ago, a movie came out with one of the most interesting approaches towards what this season is all about. I thought we would play the theme, the the angst of the main character, a guy named Jack Skellington. So this is from 25 years ago, The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs>
2: There are few who deny it. What I do, I am the best for my talents are renowned far and wide. When it comes to surprises in the moonlit night, I excel without ever
4: even trying.
2: With the slightest little effort of my ghost-like charms, I have seen grown men give out a shriek. With the wave of my hand in a well-placed bow, I have swept the very bravest off their feet. Yet year after year, it's the same routine, and I grow so weary of the sound of screams. And I, Jack, the Pumpkin King, have grown so tired of the same old
1: Somewhere deep inside of these bones, an emptiness began to grow. There's something out there far from my home.
2: Of light, and I'll scare you right out of your pants. To a guy in Kentucky, I'm Mr. Unlucky, and I'm known throughout England and France. And since I am dead, I can take off my head To recite Shakespearean quotations No animal nor man can scream like I can With the fury of my recitations But who here would ever understand That the pumpkin king with the skeleton grin Would tire of his crown If they only understood He'd give it all up
1: If he only could Oh, there's an empty place In my bones That calls out for Something unknown The fame.
4: Okay, no,
0: folks. <laughs> Poor Jack. That's a modern-day version, by the way, of the Grinch. In case you weren't, weren't didn't quite catch on to that one. Hey, there's a lot of things out there that smell great in the garden right now. I, when I'm walking around, I, I smell the uh, uh, Eliagnus. There's uh, I got some paper whites about to bloom in my garden, and um, you know, it's just some really good smells out there. But I just sniffed my. Uh, brought in a flower for my camellia. It's a Sanquin. Nope. <laughs> ain't going to fly. Some things don't smell that great. You got some favorite bad smells or some things that you you, you like to just, mm, I don't think so, shoot me an email or give me a call about it. One eight seven mpb ring Hey, uh, let's go to, um, let's see if we can go to here in Jackson and talk with Zach. Hey, Zach, thank you for holding, man. What's up?
4: Hey, how you doing?
0: Fine.
4: Uh, I've had a question. I was wondering to know if you had any good um, ideas for some small bushes that are evergreen to put into the front of your yard.
0: Yeah. How, when you say small, what's that?
4: Uh, something that's, say, smaller than about three feet tall.
0: Oh, yeah, there's there's really good ones. You know, if you're, if you're riding around some of the older neighborhoods right now, you'll actually see some. There's a type of camellia called sasanqua that have blooms, usually white or pink or sometimes red. And there's some that grow low and spread, you know, so, you know, and and they give flowers this time of year. Uh, One of my favorites, if you just wanted like a gumdrop thing, something that's round and stays round, it's real easy, a little punctuation mark out there, there's a dwarf yopon holly. They get pretty big, but they're really, really easy to prune. Uh, You know, every couple of years to keep them nice and tight and compact. And you can keep them down to 18 inches tall, just tight little gumdrop things. That's Y A U P O N Holly. Uh, There's also some dwarf Nandinas. Uh, Nandina is uh, that thing you see around some older houses. It's kind of a frilly-looking thing. It's got lots of clusters of red berries. There's some that only get uh, two, two two-and-a-half, three feet tall. And my way of thinking, Zach, if you mix some of those together, little gumdrop-shaped Yopons, maybe a frilly Nandina thrown in here, uh, the dwarf Nandina, and maybe put a, one of the, these slow growing, spreading uh, Sasanquas, You got something that's more interesting than if they all look the same. And plus, if something dies, nobody can tell. And it gives you something all through all the seasons. So, uh, if you shoot me an email, though, I can give you a list of, oh, five or six really, really dependent ones that you can find locally. But those are the ones I'd start with.
2: Awesome. Uh, what's the email?
0: Uh, garden at online. Dot org. Thank you so much. Oh, let me throw out one other thing, Zach. Big rocks work too. You know, a lot of people think you got to put just bushes out there. Put your rock out there that's just the right shape. Maybe a smallish rock stood up on end, so it looks big, and then put some plants around that, or an urn, or you know, some kind of little hard feature, uh, a bowling, you know, bowling ball. You know, in other words, you don't have to go with just plants. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have fun. I appreciate it. Thanks. You too. You bet. Okay, let's slide over Louisiana down to Covington. Hey, Polly. Good morning. Hey, Felder. Hello. I'm fine. What's up? Well, I was
5: driving back to South Louisiana last week, and I was searching for MPB on the radio, and I came across this station. I don't even know what the name of it was, but this man was talking about trees and how they communicate with each other. And he had built his house about 50-something years ago and planted three trees in the front, and they were three different kinds, and they grew up together and then lo and behold, a couple of years ago, one of them died, and it had no disease. They couldn't figure out what happened. They thought, well, old age. And shortly after that, the other two died. Hmm. And he did some research and found out that, really, they communicate through the soil. They send out different types of um, bacteria. You know, when something's going wrong, they they notify their Their sibling and blah blah. It was the most interesting program, and I thought of you when I heard <laughs> why'd you think?
0: Why do you think of me when you heard that? <laughs> when I
5: think about oak dead
0: trees? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, there, we, you know, there's been a lot of study on plant. People don't realize that, that plants operate on electrical impulses, they have hormones like we do, and they communicate oh. in different ways, but there's this stuff in the soil called mycorrhizae. It's not exactly a fungus, it's not exactly a bacteria, but it hooks to roots, and, uh, and it changes all sorts of stuff. It's a crucial part of soil to help plants grow. And uh, when there's changes the mycorrhizae, it affects plants all around. And it could have been something like, you know, it stayed a little too dry two years before or stayed too wet or something like that uh-huh. that changed the soil, changed the mycorrhizae, that causes a slow death. could also be one of the trees got struck by a mild, mild bolt of lightning and mm-hmm. it just sort of gave it up after, you know, struggling for a while. And other trees... Um, you know, why am I thinking that he needs to plant a weeping willow there to to mourn their passing?
5: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was very interesting, and as I said, it reminded me of you, so I wanted to plant that along.
0: Plants do communicate in ways that we haven't figured out how to measure yet. But I appreciate that a whole bunch, Polly.
5: Okay, I thought it was cool.
0: Thank you. All it right. is. Thank you.
5: Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>
0: Been, I'm not mocking her. I'm not mocking her at all. By the way, uh, and I don't know, uh, Jav, I don't know if you can see this, but I got an okra pod, a long, skinny okra pod. And just like when I was a kid, I don't know, you know, you were raised a different era. But when I was a kid, we were poor and we made ornaments for the holiday, Christmas tree ornaments out of uh, okra and sweet gum balls. We sprinkle that white glue and glitter on stuff. Did y'all ever do any of
1: that? Well, when I was coming up in school, we would do like the macaroni type oh, of yeah. type of things and stuff like that. So, but that but that's cool. We're gonna actually put that up on the uh, on the on the podcast on the website. That is a oh, you
0: gonna put a picture of this one? How yeah, about how about with me? I got I got my naughty elf hat on. Well, okay,
1: Santa Claus, Santa Claus
0: and the elf. We'll go with it. There you go. There you go. But anyway, it's a an okra pod. It's painted red with a long white streak on one side like a beard and a little face pointed on it. That's what we used to do when I was... Uh, When I was a kid, sweet gum balls, those uh, dried seed pods from uh, the trumpet vine, all sorts of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we would use white glue and glitter and paint and stuff like that. And it's not nostalgia. It was fun. It was interesting. Hey, now let's go up to Madison. Madison, have you got a, a good stank from a garden?
1: Good morning. This is Jim. Oh, Jeff.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, Madison. (laughs) I got they put the screen away from me and put a piece of paper over the thing and said, "Don't touch anything." But my bifocals (laughs) are a factor. (laughs) Anyway, what's up, Jeff?
1: Well, I I I heard recently, and it it might have actually been you that said this. I'm not sure, but um, if if human beings um, manage to succeed in their apparent efforts to eradicate the honeybee. Um, flowering plants that need to be pollinated are going to look for the next best pollinator. And the most abundant available pollinator would be flies. And if that's the case, then plants are going to uh, evolve or adapt so that their flowers, instead of smelling sweet, are going to smell like things that attract flies. So they're going to smell like excrement or rotted flesh.
0: Do you know there are some plants that do that? No, There, there are. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cactus, and uh, the, the leaves are long and, and thin, but they've they're, uh, they got several sides of them, sort of like uh, multiple-sided cylinders, and when it blooms, it has a flower that opens up about as big as my hand. It's called carrion flower, carrion cactus, and it smells just like rotten meat and pollinated by flies.
1: Well, the only the only thing I've ever seen that smelled bad like that that came out of the ground was I think it's called dead man's fingers, stinkhorn. Oh,
0: yeah, stinkhorn.
1: Oh my yeah. god!
0: That, <laughs> I oh mean they're na- they're nasty looking, but they are, and they're the they, and they attract flies. You know, there's yeah. quite a few plants that, that do that, largely in uh, in jungle conditions and in, in uh, where there's not a lot of butterflies and bees, but there's always flies and slugs and things like that. But that's a real real interesting thing. And I I'm I'm working on a blog about this and it just didn't occur to me to, that that angle. Appreciate it, man.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. Well, love the show, man. Thanks. Thank appreciate you being right. part of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh in uh plants that are pollinated by beetles and flies. This there's another one I've got. Uh and it's called what is a common name for it? Amorphophallus um, is the uh is is the common name, um I can't think of that. Anyway, it it comes up. It it has a flower in the springtime that's shaped like a like if you're cupping your hand. Uh, it's just called a spath, sort of like the spathophyllum or the peace lily, except it's burgundy and it smells bad. And it's completely covered with flies because it's such a such a nasty smelling thing. Because that's what it does. Anyway, interesting. Uh, let's go down to Mobile, Alabama. Hey, Becky. Good morning. Morning, child. How are you? I'm fine. What's up? Well, I just wanted to pass along some
6: interesting information. I was listening a few minutes ago to the listener who was talking about the trees. And last Christmas, my Canadian friend sent me this book, and the title of the book is The Hidden Life of Trees. It's a word in here by somebody you may be aware of by the name of Tim, Tim Flannery from England.
0: I've, I've I've seen the book and, and I haven't picked it up, but it, it apparently it talks about all the different ways that they interact with each other.
5: Yes, that's exactly what it's
6: about, and it's an interesting experience reading it. It gives you some food for thought, anyway.
0: Well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go check that thing out and see what I can come up with, and we can talk about that more next week because it is, you know, people don't realize that, you know, when you whistle for a dog and it perks its ears up, you know, we know that the dog heard something, but you don't realize that a lot of times when insects attack a certain tree, they give the trees give off hormones and, and uh, that other trees can pick up on, and they automatically get into a defense mode. They communicate in ways that we just don't think about because they don't have fingers and brains. Well,
6: nice you do for us i enjoy your program
0: becky i appreciate you being out there you know and you're reading some weird stuff i hope it doesn't change you too much or if it does hope it changes for the better
6: enjoy my plant
0: (laughs) thank you becky appreciate it (laughs) let's slide up to oxford uh, folks to see if eric's got another stinky plant what you got eric
1: what about the stargazer lily you ever have oh oh oh, oh oh you know
0: they're supposed to smell good but they're so good that it just can drive you out of a room.
3: <laughs> you can't believe it in an office. It'll put you out of that office. Uh, yeah,
0: and i tell you another one, and I, I've talked about this several times before o- over the years, but I like paperwhite narcissus. Some people say they smell like cat pee. And
2: they, if you... uh, yeah, I have people that hate them. We have them in our greenhouse, and I love the smell, but we have people that can't stay in there with them blooming.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, eau de feline. Wow. <laughs> so, so hey, you grow you grow the stargazers in your greenhouse?
2: No, no, no. I hate them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a good one. I hadn't even thought about that. You're right. It's one of those cloying sweet. It makes you just want to scream. Yep, yep. Well, Merry Pre- Christmas to you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Right. Bye-bye. Here's a little thing about stinky flowers. You know, so so many people, they you know, they focus on this or that or the other, and I'm thinking, let's have some fun. Gardening is about more than just a I mean, if you think about it, one man's perfume is another man's stink. Hey, I've got a, an email from um, from Ann. I forget her last name, but she said, "How long does she need to wait?" She ha- had a stump ground up in a, for a tree. Wants to know. She wants to make a daylily bed. Oh, it's a water oak stump. She ground it up this past January, almost a year. Wants to make a daylily bed there. Wants to know. Uh, how long she should wait. What I said was, go ahead and put some real dirt out there. You know when you grind up a tree trunk, it's got all that bark and all. It takes a while for bark to break down. It breaks down by uh, fungus and bacteria. And uh, after a year or so of that, the fungus starts to flower, and it's got this. uh, It start putting these little brown mushrooms. They don't hurt anything, but it takes a while. You can speed that up by feeding the fungus and feeding the bacteria, and you do that with natural sources of nitrogen. You can pile grass clippings there, or just scatter some cottonseed meal. But anything that provides natural, slow acting nitrogen will speed up that decomposition. Uh, Mixing real dirt with it will help. You know, not potting soil, but real dirt. Dirt. That helps a lot, but then you can also just simply dig what you can, stir it all together, add some more stuff, make a little raised bed over the area. I did warn her though that over the next three or four or five years, as the old roots uh, decay, they're going to collapse leaving root shape uh, holes in the ground. If you imagine a big root as big around as your arm, when it decays it leaves a hole that shape and that size and the ground's going to collapse. Between collapsing dirt And uh, mushrooms and stuff, that's to be expected. No big deal. Now, let's go up to Mobile. Hey, Mikey, how are you this morning?
4: Hey, good morning. It's a little cold because I'm a sissy with cold weather, but, hey, it's it's, it's nice. It's nice enough. That's okay. What's up? Um, Okay. First of all, I I want to contribute to the um, (laughs) the, uh, not-so-wonderful smells Mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, My dogs... (laughs) Of An uh, idea of aromatherapy, and uh, it's only exceeded by the surprise discovery of it in the garden. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and uh, with the Christmas ornament things, um, I have done the sweet gums with the glitter on them. I had not thought of the okra. That's a really – I love that one.
0: It's um, an easy one, and, and, and they dry and they last a long time.
4: Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and pine cones, of course, that's yep. always a good one. But anything like that that you find, but um, I got an, uh, I learned from the, uh, uh, the wildlife program here and the museum, um, Ms. Libby, uh, Hartfield. Yeah, Ms. Libby Hartfield, yes, um, pointed out something that was a really wonderful tip with well, you're gonna do things like that. Um, anything that's woody like that, you gotta remember you might be bringing something in with it. Because down here, particularly on the Gulf Coast, we don't necessarily get a lot of freezer time. Right. You know, enough time to kill the things that might crawl out of something. Right, right. Um, uh, So if we don't get enough cold, put the stuff in a plastic bag and put it in the freezer for a little bit. And then painting it, of course. I mean, I'm sure you know more about that than I do, but painting it should maybe seal in whatever doesn't. Whatever
0: you miss. Yeah, or else just, you know, shake it off really, really good. Shake it off really good. <laughs> anyway, well, Mikey, that's some really good tips. I appreciate that. Oh, I
4: appreciate y'all. Thank
0: you okay. so much. Okay, thank you for calling. And, folks, if you want to give us a call, it's toll free one eight seven seven 877 mpb 877, I can't remember the numbers. Here we go. It's written on the wall in letters about five, five inches tall, 877-672-7464. 8776727464 Who can remember that? It is 877 MPB Ring, R I N G. <laughs> Horticulture's Fell to rushing. We got plenty of stuff we can talk about, but it's going to be here every week right here on MPB like all the other programs through the through the week. Monday through Friday we have all sorts of topics, fun stuff, interesting stuff. Local people talking about local issues in a timely manner. Uh, we're going to be uh, kicking around some ideas about Getting ready for holidays, you spray painting magnolia leaves and stuff. But uh, also, when we come back, I'm going to share an email I got from somebody who thought about my grandmother and her concrete chicken. That's what we do here on MPB. We just have a little fun. We'll be right back. <laughs> Okie doke, folks, welcome back. Hey, I want to share one of the weirdest bad smells you can imagine. Weird, and you wouldn't expect it. Everybody knows about earthworms. You dig around the leaves, a bunch of big old earthworms. They flop around, act like, you know, they're they're surprised. Well, if you dig deep down into heavy soil, I mean, the stuff that that roots won't grow in stinky type of dirt and get on down there in the heavy deep stuff. There's an earthworm that lives way down deep. You'll never find it up in the leaves. It's always down in the dirt and it's kind of an olive green color. Uh, and it, cur- it curls up sort of like uh, like curly fries. You know, it curls up in a spiral, a real tight spiral if you pick it up. Because it's not used to being in the light. Anyway, it's green colored and it has the most obnoxious, stinky smell. We call them stink bait. When I was a kid, we would use them to catch catfish with. It's got a weird Latin name. And why I know this stuff, <laughs> I don't know. Latin name is Allobothra chloritica. I learned that a long, long time ago saying, what is this worm? But it's a stinky, stinky olive green worm that you only find way down deep. You know, where are you going to hear this but here on MPB? I don't know. Hey, let's go down and back to Mobile County. Hey, Melanie, how are you? Pretty good, thank you. Good. How about yourself? I'm fine. What's up?
6: Well, uh, on the uh, smelly things in the garden, mm-hmm. I have a beautiful fountain. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, over the summer, it... Grows a lot of uh, interesting uh, slimy things, and when you have to clean that out, that's really not any fun at all, and it doesn't smell good, and it doesn't feel very good either.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's nasty. That's you know I said er, you know early problem. That's one of the things I want to do this weekend is, is l- get out all those leaves before winter, because in the springtime it is a there's not a who is a horrible smell. Yes,
6: but uh, on the Christmas things that you can spray paint gold. Uh huh. Uh, you know, formosa lilies? Yeah. You know, if you let them go to seed.
0: Oh, yeah.
6: And let those seed pods dry, and they split open and almost in a bell-shaped, th- and they are gorgeous. Because yeah. they'll be, you know, if you've got four or five on one thing and spray paint them gold or with glitter or something,
0: they look fantastic. You know, I, I, I see those in the garden, and, I, you know, you just want to cut them down and think about it. But you're right. They do split open like little stars.
6: And, of course, they make snow, you
0: know, when you cut them. because They <laughs> <It> go everywhere. <laughs> they fly
6: everywhere, and
0: you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate it. And uh, bless your heart. You know, there's something a lot of people don't realize that gardeners, you know, football people and tennis people and cooks and they all share the stuff. But we share nasty garden fountain <laughs> gunk.
6: Yeah, and it is that time of year when we have to do a lot of that, uh, I call it house cleaning
0: yeah. <laughs> in to, the garden. If, if we don't, the gunk is going to be nasty in the morning. It's going to S-T-A-N-K stank. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Appreciate it. Thanks, Melanie. Alrighty, have a good day. Bye-bye. You know, one of the things I uh, last week, I was showing off my truck, and I had a little talk about garden art. And I showed my grandmother's concrete chicken, and my grandmother was a simple person. My great grandmother's a horticulturist. Her daughter in law, Granny, just had zinnias, monkey grass, and a concrete chicken. And I got her chicken in my yard because every time I look at it, I think of my grandmother. Anyway, here's an email I got from, uh, from uh, Steve and Betsy Bryant. They're from Canton. They said, uh, My wife Betsy and I enjoyed your talk at the Mississippi Artists Guild uh, last Saturday, and we both loved seeing your grandmother's chicken. Soon after your talk, we drove across High Street to browse through the old house depot for some architectural salvage. Pulling in their lot, I almost ran over a concrete rooster. Although we weren't in the market for a chicken, Betsy and I instantly felt that your grandmother or the garden gods or somebody special had led us to that particular expression of yard art. So I bought her for ten dollars. Truth be told, I probably would have paid a $100. We're so very proud of him. He has no beak, has some funky green stuff growing on his thighs, but he is one magnificent rooster. For now, he presides over the pansies and lambs here on the patio. Soon enough, he'll have his own patch of zinnias honoring you and your grandmother. Uh, Steve and Betsy from Canton, I appreciate that. You know, I had somebody laughing at me because I've got a concrete chicken in my yard. You know, hey, I've been to Versailles. I've seen Louis the Fourteenth's 8 eight-foot naked goddess statues. Naked goddess statues not gonna it, it ain't gonna fly in my yard. I got a little cottage garden in <laughs> Fondren, Mississippi. Wrong scale, wrong style. But when I look at my grandmother's chicken, I don't see a concrete chicken. I don't see a cheap knockoff pre-plastic flamingo yard ornament, I see my grandmother and her zinnias. And uh, like uh, Betsy and Steve's uh, new rooster, Granny's chicken doesn't have a beak either. It makes her all the more proud to be out there in somebody's yard and loved. So you can keep your naked goddess statues, Louis Fourteenth, the Sun King. I got Granny's chicken, and she's more important than all the naked goddess statues in the world. Hey, we're going to be talking about gardening here every week. If you got some things you'd like to chat about, got some questions, don't feel like you want to talk about it live, shoot me an email. It's real easy garden at org. MPB, garden at mpbonline.org. That'll get you right into a guy who just likes to share some stuff. Yeah. The Gestalt Gardener is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We call it Think Radio. My producers are laid back for hard work and Java Chapman. Greeter today has been Kevin Farrell. I'm your host, Felder Rushing. I'm gonna think of all of y'all to get out and do a little pruning, blow some leaves, get the gunk out of my water garden, Uh, maybe hit some of my pansies before it rains, a little fertilizer. But the main thing is beautiful, beautiful opportunity rain or shine. Take a kid to a garden center, take a kid someplace where they can. Poke around and get smells and pretty things and all sorts of texture things. Give them a $5 bill and teach them how to do what we do best. Even in a pot, a little kid can learn it's okay to get dirty.
4: See y'all next week.